welcome to the Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Kuttner, and I'm so glad you're here. This podcast will help you find ways to live healthier, happier, and more inspired. I so appreciate you being here, and I hope you like this episode. So today on the podcast, I have Jeff Harry. He is the play whisperer. He infuses play into work and life to help people live better. So Jeff, thanks for coming on. Oh, I'm excited about this. Let's go. Yes, let's go. So tell me a little bit how you got started with this and, and why play is so meaningful to you. Sure. So I'll tell you the quick Batman origin story. So I saw the movie Big when I was a kid with Tom Hanks. And in that movie, he dances on a piano and then he gets offered a job at a toy company. And I was like, what? Like, you can do that as a a job? So I literally went home that night and started writing toy companies in third grade. And I did not stop until I got into the toy industry like 15 years later. And ironically enough, it was in New Jersey where I, I got one of my first like toy jobs. Um, But I don't know if you've ever gotten exactly what you've always wanted and then been so disappointed when you get there. But there was like no toys, no fun, no high fives, just adults like selling as if they were selling microwaves or socks. Like it didn't really matter what they were selling was no soul to it. Just the soul was gone. So I remember leaving New Jersey, New York, moving to the Bay Area piddling around for a little bit, not knowing what to do with my life, having my quarter life crisis. And then I bumped into a job on Craigslist teaching kids engineering with Lego, but they were basically playing for a living. And I was like, oh my God, I want to do this. It was paying $150 a week. It was a joke of a job. There were only seven people there, but I was like, I'm going to make this a thing. And we did like, we went all in and we grew it from seven people to 400 people And it became the largest Lego inspired STEM organization, like in the US. But we did it all by playing. Like we had no idea what we were doing. No business plan, pick people we thought were fun, pick cities we thought were fun. We'd be like, yo, who wants to go to New York? Who wants to go to Austin? Yes. Who wants to go to Wyoming? No. Like that's how we decided everything, right? And then we got so big within the first 10 years, we had taught about a million kids. And we were in the Bay Area, which is great. So Facebook, Adobe, all of the Silicon Valley organizations started paying attention to us. And we're like, hey, do you do team building events and special events and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, of course we do. And we just kept experimenting. And then I ended up for the next decade running team building events for the top tech companies in the world. But what I found is at the same time that they were always innovating, right? They weren't actually doing a lot of this. They weren't being that disruptive. They weren't actually taking risks. It was because they had not created psychologically safe workspaces. So I made Rediscover Your Play to combine positive psychology and play to really help their staff get into their flow and play. How do you address your inner critic? How do you deal with a toxic person at work? How do you deal with difficult conversations? All of those things, those pain points they were struggling with, I used positive psychology and play to do it. I love that. (laughs) I love that so much. There was so much there. So I want to start with joy because I feel like that was the first thing that came up, infusing joy and play and how that actually makes you innovative. Like I love that getting curious and, and discovering things through playing. So tell me a little bit about 
how you've seen that play out with people at work, just as the first example. So like encouraging them to play and then watching what happens. Do you have like a really good example? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'll first define play just, just for the audiences. Like, so I define play as any joyful act where you forget about time, Mm. right? Where there is no purpose, there is no result. You don't have anxiety about the future. You don't have regrets about the past. You are fully in the moment. You are fully in flow. So when a lot of companies are like, why would I want my staff to play? When your staff is in flow, you're 500% more productive, five times more productive. So that's one thing that's really important. Also, Steven Johnson would always talk about the futures where people are having the most fun. The organizations that were thriving in 2020 were playing the most. TikTok, Hulu, Clubhouse, Disney Plus, like Netflix. If you look at certain organizations that were taking a lot of risks and being innovative, they're the ones most willing to play. So that also really helps from that standpoint. But then another tangible example of that is Google used to run this thing called the 20% rule where they would give their staff a fifth of their time to pursue whatever was curious to them, whatever play they wanted, as long as it helped Google out. What came from the 20% program? AdSense, Gmail, Google Meet, Google News, Google Maps, So many of the innovations that built Google came from allowing their staff to play. So I think when a lot of people are like, well, how is play helpful? Play actually could be the foundation of your business. And if you think of any company when they first started, they were just experimenting and playing. Play is what got us through this pandemic. If you were watching anything on Netflix or doing stuff on on TikTok, all those people are playing. All that entertainment was play. So again, it also dramatically helps with your mental health. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you said that about mental health too. And I also think when you're playing, you are in that flow state where you don't recognize the time pass. And that's where you get into your genius. You kind of mentioned these great ideas came out of being in flow state, being playful, you know, tapping into that creativity. So I love that too. Right. And when you mentioned genius, I think of Gay Hendricks, right? Zone of genius. You know, you have your zone of incompetence, which things you suck at, zone of competence, things you're average at, zone of excellence, where most of us spend our time on, right? Things we get paid to do and we're good at, but we don't really care to do it either way. We're like, all right, whatever. I like the praise. But your zone of genius is the stuff where not only you forget about time, but this is the work where if no one was paying you, you would still do that work. Yeah. The more you can identify that stuff, the p- more powerful you are. So I remember Tarana Burke, who created the Me Too movement yeah. back in like 2004, 2005, was like, listen, I used to do this in church basements and recreation centers. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember she was speaking on the dais of like this Wisdom 2.0 conference I was at. And she's like, right now you're taking me to the Academy Awards, the Emmys, all this glitz and glamour. But if you took this away from me tomorrow, I'd still be doing this work because I care about the work. Like I'll be back in those church basements because the work is the most important thing to me. And when you identify that in your life, no, you're untouchable because no one can take anything away from you because you love it for the sake of it's you. You're basically doing the stuff that makes you come most alive. Yeah. So the, the more we can identify that, oh, the better, because that's the whole Howard Thurman quote of like, 
Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. So true. Yeah, I got chills while you were talking. So I know you're definitely on point. So I want to talk a little bit about mental health. I know you you mentioned like some of the things that kept people sane (laughs) during this time period was like tapping into creativity or fun or whatever they could find to like keep themselves going. So let's talk about how you can play more in your life to really aid your mental health and and stay positive and, and really thrive. Yeah. So there's a few different ways. One suggestion I learned from my play mentor, Gwen Gordon, uh, which is before you can play, you have to actually calm yourself down. You have to soothe yourself. So you can't play in an anxiety ridden state. You can't play when you're angry. You can't play when you're sad. If you're feeling those feelings, you should just allow yourself to fully feel those feelings. Now, also what she taught me was that you actually adopt your nervous system or your the way in which you cope from the people that took care of you the most. So if if they didn't have a good coping system, you might not. You might have adopted a really bad one. So you have to figure out, okay, what are the healthy ways in which I soothe myself? You know, some people actually celebrate in the same way they numb. Right. Like when something goes really well, they're like, let me go buy a bunch of stuff off of Amazon. And when their things are going bad, let me go buy a bunch of stuff on Amazon. <laughs> it's just like we have to be careful of like, how do you identify that, you know, and what's the healthy way of, of approaching it? Right. So what what soothes you? Right. Oh, when I go on a walk, I get a bunch of ideas. Oh, when I take a shower, I get a bunch of ideas. Oh, when I dance in costume in my house, I get a bunch of ideas. You, you're right next to the beach. You need to be by the beach, right? So identify what is the thing that actually first soothes you. And then once you are calm enough, then I challenge people to do this, which is really difficult. And it's weird coming from a play guy, but I challenge you to get bored. And what I mean by getting bored is like, stop binge watching Netflix, stop looking at social media. And I'm not talking about forever. I'm talking about like 30 minutes to an hour. And if you're like, I can't, it's not, I don't have enough time. Look at your phone. You're on your phone five hours a day. You can find 30 minutes to not. And the reason why is because we get inundated with more information in a day than most people in 1950s got in an entire year. Yeah. And think about what most of that information is saying to you. You're not enough. You need to keep buying stuff from Amazon. You need to keep filling your soul with more stuff. (laughs) And we were just talking about moving earlier. Now you're like, oh, now I have all this stuff. I got to get rid of all this stuff, you know, so you can't hear your own voice. You can't hear your inner child. So when you allow yourself to actually get bored and start practicing listening All of a sudden, that inner child starts to show up, that intuition, and it's going to start suggesting these nerve-sided ideas, these these ideas that make you both nervous and excited. And it's going to say something crazy to you, like start a podcast, move to the beach, start that side hustle, create that video, reach out to that person you've been wanting to reach out to for six months or even a year, or maybe it's been four years since you wanted to reach out to this person, right? And when you do that, regardless of the outcome, regardless of whether you achieve with the side hustle or the business or you start the podcast or whatever, the fact that you're taking this risk all of a sudden expands who you are because now you realize, oh, this this place of uncertainty is not that scary. 
oh, I can actually be in the deep end of the pool and it's not that bad. And then you start to expend all of the other risks that you're taking. And I can't believe I'm quoting, we bought a zoo, but (laughs) great line in that movie where like the main character, Matt Damon's character is like, all you need is 20 seconds. Like all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage in crazy bravery and you can change everything. So it's like, you're always one risk away. Like every day, it's great. Regardless of whatever happened the day before, you're one risk away from like changing it all. And the more you're willing to take those risks, the more you can expand yourself as like a human being. Yeah. I caught a couple things in there that I wanted to just highlight. Like this whole distraction culture. I feel like you mentioned a couple things like online shopping and Instagram and Netflix. Like we live in a distraction culture. And I love that you were like, we'll get bored and get quiet. Cause that's essentially like what meditation teaches. And that's a theme that's come up on this podcast a bunch, like how to meditate, how to get quiet, how to listen to your intuition. I love that you said like, you need to listen to that inner child because that joy is connected to your soul. <laughs> like your soul right. wants you to be happy and joyful and take risks and expand. You said beautiful things. And I was just so attached to it because people are, are caught up in distractions for sure. Or like you said, like they're learning and absorbing all these patterns from either the way they were raised, whatever society preaches to them. So they absorb that, but then they don't learn how to think for themselves and get creative and get playful. And so that's why I love that you said, like you have to get quiet, you have to tune in and you have to tap in. And so like take that risk, run with whatever comes up, tap into your joy and open yourself up to like what comes next. You said so many good things there. And also play is a form of meditation, right? It's a form of mindfulness. So if you can't meditate, go do something else that actually brings you joy. And that is a form of mindfulness and meditation. And also we've fallen into such a toxic productivity culture as well, where comparisonitis is such a huge thing. There have been studies that have found that happiness levels went down in many developing countries when they started downloading Instagram. Because the amount of comparison culture, the amount of, you know, and then expectations are the thief of joy, right? The more we're comparing, the more you can't even hear your own thoughts, right? And then here, so here's another way in which people can play tangibly is if you're like, oh, well, you know, I got bored, but nothing came up. (laughs) I recommend reaching out to three to five of your closest friends call them on the phone or get on zoom or meet them face to face. But like, you know, just don't like text them this, but ask them these two questions. What value do I bring to your life? Like, why are we friends? Like, what do I do for you? Like what impact have I had on your life? Right. So what value do I bring to your life? And then the other question is, when have you seen me most alive? And another way of asking is like, when have you seen me most playful, most creative, most myself, when have you seen me most myself? So when you get the answers back of what value do I bring to your life and when have you seen me come most alive? Oh, the love and the appreciation. Not only that, oh, you're like, oh, I didn't even know I impacted you in that way. I didn't even know I did that for you. Oh my gosh, that is the ways in which I come alive. That is the way in which I played. Man, I, I don't remember the last time I played like that. Then you can reach back out to those three to five friends that are like, help me to play more in these ways. Like, let's figure out ways in which I can like schedule this play out or do more of this. And that's where all of the epiphanies start to show up. 
right? Because again, it's just like, figure out the thing that makes you come most alive because frankly, like we need that. Like the world needs that. Yeah, I love it. And I think it also creates so much meaning too. And it's proven that if you feel like you're making an impact and you feel like you're living a meaningful, purposeful life, like you're going to be happier. That's connected to your joy too, because you are living your soul's purpose. So I love that everything you're saying is really connected to the soul in so many ways, Uh like meaning, connection. And also you'll live longer. Yeah, because you're happier. Like, like Like there's a book I'm reading right now called Ikigai, which is Japanese translations of reason for being. Yeah. And they, and they study all these blue zones. These are places where people live over a hundred years, you yeah. know, in Greece, in o- Okinawa is like one of the most popular places. And their ikigai is part of like their reason for being. They wake up in the morning, they know what they want. And also they have deep connections. They have a strong community. Yeah. So it's like you can actually elongate your life by the, your ability to savor and appreciate, by your ability to identify what your reason for meaning is and showing up for that. And then also like what level of deep connections do you have on your life? So it's right there, man. And and you know what? The, you know what? A lot of these places that have amazing ikigai guy and are living long lives work is not the highest priority it just isn't it just isn't that's a great segue i actually wanted to ask your advice for people who feel stuck at work so say that you know people have a job because they need to pay the bills like they're not necessarily connected to their life's purpose, but they're working their jobs because they need to have the sense of security. So what is your advice for those people who maybe don't work for disruptive organizations? Maybe they're kind of involved with work that they do to like pay the bills. Maybe it gives them some sense of purpose and and impact, but they're not fully playing at work. Like a couple examples, maybe people who work for like corporate offices or even like healthcare professions, like healthcare professions are great. They are helping people, but the way that the system is structured, it's like so fast paced. Most healthcare workers don't get breaks, like patient to patient to patient. You know, so many people are sick. So for folks like that, like how do they play at work? So I have two suggestions. One is when you get a chance, write down all of the things that you do at your work, like identify. And this is not like your job description, but just either your daily or weekly tasks, right? And identify out of all of these, what do I love to do most? If I could do any of them, even if you like hate your job, there's something you love, you or you enjoy more than others. Like, you know, yeah. if you're a nurse, you're like, I love connecting with my patients, right? But yeah. I feel so busy and I'm getting pushed around all the time. Circle the thing that you identify that you love to do most and figure out, is there a way in which I can do more of this? Or is there a way in which I can appreciate more of this? Yeah. So if it was like talking with clients or talking with your patients, how do I spend more time like building that connection? Even if I don't have time, meaning like I'm going to actually ask deeper questions when I'm connecting with someone, or I'm going to listen to their story just for a little bit longer, even if it's just one more minute, because that's going to fill my soul, right? That's going to fill my soul. Then the second thing I would do is also then look at your work for the last year and see what impact did I have 
Is there like I'm working right now with a bunch of lawyers as well as a bunch of mental health experts like psychologists and stuff like that. And I'm having them reflect back on whose life have I impacted at work? Like, yeah. you know, what who's whose life have I possibly changed? Right. And when you start to look back at that. When was the last deep conversation I had, whether that's me helping like a mentee out at my corporate office or me talking with either a patient or a client, showing them that how awesome they are because they didn't realize how dope they are, right? So spending that time in that gratitude state yeah. will actually dramatically help. Yeah. And then if you're at a job where you're like, man, I just hate all of it. <laughs> and they're not really making me busy right? I'm just here. They need to be to be here for eight hours away. By the, by the way, um, studies have found that most people can only do deep work for three to four hours of an eight hour workday. Yeah. So don't ever beat yourself up that you're not working eight full hours because no one is really no one is most of the time. No one is. So if they are giving you time where they're just like, you have to be there, but you're not doing anything, then utilize that time to identify like, okay, what do I want to do? You know, is there a side business that I want to create? Is Do I want to write more? Do I want to like just start brainstorming ideas? This is part of allowing yourself to get bored because you're just sitting at work anyway mm. and if nothing's happening and then just see what ideas pop up because then you'll start to be like, ooh, maybe I do want to work this new job. And then that doesn't mean just quit your job because yes, you have to pay the bills. But while you're like paying the bills, you can start creating your own thing and see what happens with that. Right. And maybe it makes money or maybe it doesn't, but it still brings you joy. Right. So this is identifying like what are actions you can take that actually bring you joy. And one other suggestion I have is I do this thing called the play fun joy index where I tell people, all right, instead of your, your new year's resolutions, let's look back at your last year. And, you know, and I have a bunch of questions that they ask themselves looking back at their last year. What was your most awe-inspiring moment of last year? When did you laugh the most? Who were you with? Who did you impact in your life last year? And how did you impact them? And when you start answering those questions and looking back at that, you're like, oh, these are the ways. When did you have the most fun? And when you answer all of those, then you're like, how can I do more of that in 2021? And you start to plan out all those play, fun, joy moments, because at the end of your life, you don't think about your most productive moments. You don't think about all your accomplishments. You think about your most fun, joy, play moments. So why not be doing more of those? Yeah. It's so interesting because you actually answered like my next question. My next question was really, how do we reflect back on this year to create change? And you, you nailed it. <laughs> I love that you're like, well, highlight all these moments that were meaningful, like connection focused play focus, creativity focus, because that's really the change that you want to make to be happier, I guess. Like yep. you want to incorporate these things into your life more so that you can kind of clear out what didn't work. And you would say a really important point about clear out what didn't work, right? Yeah. You know, Elizabeth Gilbert says this quote all the time of personal transformation only happens when you get tired of your own BS, Yes. right? Yes. So what is the BS story you've been telling yourself that has been limiting you for years, right? My BS story last year was like, I don't have time to make videos. I don't have time. I sound weird. I'm, I look weird, whatever. 
But then quarantine happened. March 15th rolled around and I was locked down here in Chicago. And it was like, you have all the time in the world. And then I binge watched Netflix and I tried to avoid it as much as possible for like a month. And then I was like, okay, I'm tired of my own BS. Mm -hmm. And I started making videos and I ended up making like 150 videos in like nine months. It was nothing. And then I started hopping on podcasts and then to be interviewed. And all of a sudden I was on 120 podcasts by the end of the year. So like, Again, when you confront your old, your BS story and you do it in a playful way, all of a sudden you expand in ways that you never thought were possible. Yeah. And that's the challenge that I keep telling people. Mm, so good. So play makes me think about kids, obviously. Like that's our natural state. That's our natural state too. We just have BS stories that are layered on top of it, right? So I feel like when you think about kids, like they just go. They're not overthinking every move. Most kids are just playing they're open, they're seeing what happens and they don't have these layers of like shame and guilt and limiting beliefs that I guess we develop throughout our experiences. So it's interesting that once you peel back all these layers, then you really can get into your flow state and you can create more and you can be more authentic because you're honoring your truth instead of honoring those stories, you know? Exactly. And I also say all the time to people, I'm like, look, you already have all the answers that you need. You have yeah. most, besides like you not being a doctor, so you can't operate on yourself. Most of the time you have the answers that you need and you simply need to play enough in order to figure them out. And the only reason why, if my advice is resonating with you, it's because you've already told yourself the same advice. And I'm just reminding you of something you know, you already know, you know? So I think a lot of times we're constantly seeking for answers outside of ourselves, yep. but it's like, dude, it's all there. And just yep. get quiet enough and get and play enough. Your inner child is always ready to play. It's always ready to go. And you simply need to give it enough attention so that it, it can show up. Yeah. I think that's the problem though, that people are either distracted or their limiting beliefs are stopping them and keeping them stuck. So, you know, like I said, like kids aren't afraid. They just go. Like we get stuck in fear or we get stuck in distraction mode or we get stuck in comparison mode, which we mentioned, you know, obviously leads to like, negative emotions and keeping people feeling trapped, but it's this amount of bravery that's needed to like live authentically. Yeah, You have to yeah. be brave enough to just say like, okay, I'm not going to let these fears or these beliefs stop me. And I'm just going to go for it. But the thing is, is that's ironic is like you learn more about a person in an hour of play than a year's worth of conversation. So really a lot of times what adults are looking for is they're looking for permission. Right. So you're like, if you're ever at a wedding where no one's dancing, all of a sudden one person goes out on the dance floor, you know, because what is play? Play is the opposite of perfection. Play is curiosity, experimentation, awe, shamefulness, like, like no shame. There's no shame in play. Like you're just out there while perfection is rooted in like ego and trying to be perfect and trying to be right and trying to not make mistakes and plays like we make mistakes all the time. Right. Yeah, so, so, so another, another play technique that people can apply is like playing with their inner critic, yeah. you know, and I'll, and I'll do this one really quickly, but you know, I think a lot of times we don't realize that our rational mind 
Our, our inner critic is there specifically just to keep us alive. That's it. That's their main. So why would we be running to it to ask, hey, should I take a risk right now? Because it's only answers are fight, flight and freeze. Like those are the answers. It's, it doesn't have any other answers for you, but we run to it. But it's our intuition that we need to be leaning on when we're reaching out to like tap into our inner child. So first, we have to realize that our inner critic is there for a reason, right? But if you want to play with your inner critic, here's a really quick way of doing it. The next time your inner critic shows up, you'll know because you'll feel really crappy about yourself. And you've been sitting there watching Netflix for like four hours or whatever. You're doing something and you're like, I hate myself. Right. Well, that's your inner critic talking. So at that moment, I challenge people to actually write down what their inner critic is saying, whether write it on a piece of paper or write it on a phone, but start to practice awareness. You know, I learned this from my friend, Marsha Shandor. When you are actually writing it down, you're beginning to separate it from yourself. Then identify as you're writing it down. What does your inner critic sound like? What does your inner critic look like? Is it a bully from third grade? Is it your aunt and uncle that would always shit on you? Like, who is it? An old boss? Like, is it amalgamation of all those people, but start thinking about what is that character? And I I use character specifically because what you're trying to finally identify is like, it's a character from the past. It is your BS old story in character form, right? And then I learned this from Marsha. It was just like, then name your inner critic. So mine is named Gargamel. So as soon as Gargamel shows up, Gargamel loves to suck the fun out of everything. So Gargamel is saying to me all the time, like, you suck, you know, your business is going to fail. No one loves you. You know, no one wants to hear what you have to say. And it's just like, okay, you can actually then turn to Gargamel, your inner critic and be like, actually, my business is doing pretty well right now. Thank you, Gargamel. Actually, I'm surrounded by people that love me. Actually, Gargamel, you know, I've been on a lot of podcasts and people resonate with what I'm saying. You know, so you actually start to respond to it because it's that hurt part of you that just wants attention. Right. So you don't hate on it. You don't try to quiet it. You actually give love to it. Or sometimes I'll text my best friend, Dana, and I'll be like, Gargamel saying this to me right now. She doesn't even have to write me anything back. But again, gets quiet because you're giving attention to your inner critic and giving it love without allowing it to drive the car. You're like, you can sit in the back seat, but you can't drive the car anymore. And then the final thing you can do is go back to that list of all the mean things that said to you. And start to flip all of them. Be like, okay, well, my business is never going to be successful. Actually, it could be very successful. Oh, you know, I'm going to be broke. Actually, I'm surrounded by affluence. I'm surrounded by abundance, right? No one loves me. Actually, I'm surrounded by people who love me. And then you start to look at that list and that's your new mantra. That's the thing you start saying to yourself, right? And then all of a sudden, when you're saying to yourself that over and over again, you're giving more energy to your inner child and you're taking away energy from your inner critic. So the more we can actually practice that, the more we can actually quiet it so we can actually hear what our intuition has to say. Yeah. So I have kind of a personal question for you, but I want to know how being more playful has impacted your own life because of course, like people love stories. So if you have like a good one of, you know, when you started to play more or when you started to incorporate some of these things that you've mentioned throughout the podcast into your own life, like what direct experiences have you gotten from that? Well, uh, yeah, I'll give you a perfect example using another play technique. So 
My friend Desiree taught me this really interesting question to ask when you're when you're traveling. But now I just ask it all the time Yeah. Um, where she asks, how can it get any better than this? Oh, I love you know? So you ask that whether you're having a bad day or having a good day. Right. So I ask that I start my day with a TikTok video. Like I always start my day by making a video, whether it has no ROI value. I don't know if anyone ever watches it, but it primes my day to see everything as a play. So I start my day either brainstorming a TikTok video or actually making it. So for example, today, oh, I made this TikTok video. Oh, how can it get any better than this, right? Then I hopped on with my friend Haley and we talked about brainstorming all new, these new ideas for our social media business. Oh, how can it get any better than this? Oh, now we're having this conversation. Oh, how can it get any better than this? Oh, I get to talk to an organization in an hour, like a bunch of lawyers and like figure out how we can address burnout with them using play. How can it get any better than this? Oh, tonight I'm having a tipsy storm with my friend Angie, where we're going to get a little tipsy and brainstorm a bunch of ideas. Oh, how can it get any better than that? I don't know if it could get better, but notice I'm stacking all these positive priming moments because from positive psychology, your brain notices patterns and it looks for patterns. And that's always, so you're priming yourself to look for the next best thing. Now, when someone has a bad day, I challenge them. They did not have a bad day. What they had was they had a bad moment. And then thoughts usually last between nine seconds and 90 seconds. So then we ruminated about that bad moment. Then we languished in that bad moment and we primed ourselves to look for the next bad moment and the next bad moment, right? But at any moment during your day, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, simply asking the question from a place of curiosity, not yearning, but from curiosity, how can it get any better than this? And your brain will start to look for that and just try that out see where it goes, but man, it's changed my day. It's changed my week and it's changed my life in many ways. Yeah. There's a couple of things within that. Like how can it get any better than this? I feel like one, it, it makes you appreciate how good this moment really is. So that's like the first part. And then how can it get any better? You're also visualizing next things that could like enhance your life even more. So you're doing two things throughout that. You're doing your appreciation, gratitude, which gets you to a high vibe state. And then you're also visualizing next level things for yourself. So it's just creation of awesomeness. Yeah, it's just, it is, right? Every time you go out on the beach, I'm sure you feel that. Right. Oh my God. I feel so many things when I go to the beach. So this is another thing I learned from positive psychology. You actually can slow down time. By actually strengthening your saver muscle by simply watching sunrises and sunsets. So what happens when one watches a lot of sunrises and sunsets and they don't Instagram it, they are just fully present watching it. Your brain starts to appreciate that time more and learns to be like, oh, are we appreciating this? Oh, this is what we're doing now. We're just appreciating watching the sun go down or the sun come up. And then that savor muscle gets really strong and you start to savor in ways in which you eat, ways in which you're working, ways in which you appreciate, like even taking a shower and how the water is falling on you. You start and you and your mind actually slows down. You actually distort time. That's what happens when you get in a flow state. You're distorting time in your mind. 
um, yeah. as well as your inner critic is, is dissipating. And then you get this shot of dopamine, you become highly creative. And then you see all of these opportunities in front of you when you're in that flow state. And you felt that way when you traveled and you're just saying yes to everything. Yes, I'll have another mimosa. Yes, I'll hop on this moped. Yes, I'll go to this deserted island. Yes, I'll dance under the moonlight. And then all of a sudden you have like such a bigger world because you're willing to say yes to so much more. Yeah. I love that so much. I think the only thing that stops people is really the fear and the limiting beliefs that we talked about. I think a lot of people have to fight through this programming that they've absorbed to get back to their true nature of being creative and being playful. And I think that's the the number one thing that probably keeps people stuck. I know we kind of talked about beforehand, like, why don't people play more? Like, why don't people play? And I know you're like, well, there's a million answers. So we talked about a couple of them, but like, just like before we wrap up, like best tips to just break that stuff down. I really think that's what keeps people stagnant. Right. Well, well, tying into why don't people play more? I think we have to have a certain level of empathy for ourselves, right? The reason why people don't play more, adults don't play more is 148,000 no's. By the time you reach the age of 18, you've heard the word no 148,000 times. Then you go to school where you're asked to raise your hand and ask, ask for permission all the time. And then adults are constantly shooting on you all the time. Then you get to your teenage years where you're inundated with more information, all that social media telling you you're not enough, be anyone else but yourself, that it's such a rebellious act to play. It's such a revolutionary act to play. So we have to understand that is all of society that we're fighting. It's a lot. It's really hard to play in this society because everyone's telling you not to. So just have a certain level of compassion for yourself. And again, when you don't feel like playing, just feel the feelings. Uh, A lot of times we talk about this in positive psychology where if you're sad, let yourself feel, feel sad, you know, and also understand the complexities of feelings. When my dad passed away, all of his brothers showed up. His brothers hadn't seen each other in like 20 years since their mom died. So I was both feeling grief and sadness and loss, but then I was feeling joy and gratitude that they were there. And I was like, oh my gosh, am I supposed to feel these at the same time? And it's just like, yeah, it's like Pixar's Inside Out. Allow yourself to feel all the feelings, experience it, don't numb it, right? We run to numbing so quickly, but instead let yourself feel it fully because really, if you want to feel really powerful moments of joy, you also have to allow yourself to feel powerful moments of sadness. And I think a lot of times we numb ourselves, but by numbing ourselves, we rob ourselves of the opportunity to feel those, both of those. And I even remember, I can't believe I'm quoting South Park, but (laughs) you know, this, this kid had broken up with his, with his girlfriend and, you know, a bunch of people wearing black were like, oh, did she crush your heart and step on you with stiletto shoes? And he was just like, yeah. And they were like, you want to go and, you know, complain about how there's no meaning in life. And he goes, actually, I'm I'm happy being sad. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, there's something beautiful about the sadness, the fact that I can feel this sad because I've felt a certain level of joy. There's a beauty in the sadness. And when you're able to embrace the beauty of the sadness, right? Be grateful that you can actually feel even sadness. 
because most people, there was a lot of people that passed away in the last year, right? They never get to have that. You have the opportunity to feel all these different feelings and to like sit in it and experience that because that's the part that actually makes life worth living. Yeah, I think about this a lot. If if you want to feel like immense joy, you also have to have the capacity to feel immense sadness. And you can't ignore your feelings either. It's that emotional intelligence. Learn how to move through your feelings because they don't last forever. Like like you said, like the feelings come and go. It's like waves. But just understand how to experience your feelings in a healthy way and just sit with them. If If you need to just sit and like, don't talk to anyone and feel your feelings or like journal them out or whatever you have to do, like give yourself that time and space the same way you need to give yourself the time and space to play too. I feel like maybe a PSA for people too is build some structure in your day where you can play, like make sure Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you go take care of your inner child and you give yourself that time and attention to be more creative and playful. Like if it comes down to making the time, Like maybe that's the answer, you know? I mean, it's making time and also thinking about the environment as well. You get a ton of joy being by the beach. You know, that's what you need, right? Mm -hmm. What is a thing? What is part of the environment that actually sparks that joy for each of your listeners? They have to, I challenge them to explore that as well. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed this conversation. So tell me like what you're up to what things you're creating. Let's get into what's coming up for you. Sure. So right now I've been running a lot of workshops on navigating difficult conversations, Mm. you know, because a lot of times, you know, we're one difficult conversation away from actually making a psychologically safe workspace. So I've been spending a lot of time working with companies on that, as well as really like how to tap into your flow and really like address your inner critic. The inner critic stuff I work with a lot of entrepreneurs on, you know, in my coaching practice. But then in the companies I'm about to be doing some stuff with in the next two months is around like tapping into your flow and tapping into your play. But I'm actually, what's interesting, I'm doing a presentation for a bunch of, of college academics like in June about their inner critic. Now these are like professors, top people in their field but they wanted to talk about inner critic stuff because that is a really big issue for people. So the more one can like befriend their inner critic, the more man, the more you can release some energy to like do some really dope work in the world. I think you're absolutely right. I think that inner critic kind of like caps what you can actually do and create because you're so limited. It's like, it's literally limiting your creativity and your flow because you think you can't or you think you shouldn't, or you have this imposter syndrome narrative going on. So yeah, I believe that. And I think it's even more so with like higher level things because there's more competition or they feel, they feel like they're being judged more either from like their upbringing or whatever they've absorbed. Like, I think they have stronger inner critics than people like who are just starting. Right. Right. And and I say this a lot, you know, I love to goodwill hunt people, you know, <laughs> like remember the movie goodwill hunting. So I always say this of like, at the end of the movie for anyone that hasn't seen it, like Matt Damon is like a genius in this movie and he can literally have any job he wants. He could become a millionaire and his best friend, Ben Affleck is not a genius. And they're sitting at the construction site at the end of the movie. I love this scene. Right. And Ben turns to him and he's like, when are you going to take, you know, one of these high paying jobs? And Matt's like, I'm not. 
I'm going to work. I'm working construction with you. We're going to raise our kids next to each other, take them to Foley Field, watch them play baseball. And that's just what we're going to do. And Ben turns to him and he's like, if I see you here in 20 years, I'm going to kill you. Like, I'm literally going to kill you. And Matt's like, what, what? I owe it to myself. And he's like, man, F you, man. You don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me because I'm going to be here in 20 years and I'm okay with that. But you are sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're like too scared to cash it in. And I really believe this for like each and every one of your listeners. You're sitting on a freaking lottery ticket, right? The thing that makes you come most alive. And the thing is, is like you're not cashing it in for you. This is actually not about you. Ironically enough, it's about the fact that when you do the thing that makes you come most alive, you actually give permission for someone else to do that as well. Someone, whether someone you know or someone you don't know, is waiting for you to do your thing so they can do their thing. They can't do it until you do it. So when people say, oh, I want to impact the world or I want to change the world, do do the thing that makes you come alive because that's what everyone is waiting for. So my question to your listeners is, are you ready to do the thing that makes you come alive? Because the world needs it right now. Hey friends, thanks for checking out this episode of the Solutions Podcast. For more episodes just like this, be sure to subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at Solutions Pod. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.